When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the amazing Rico Bronya podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Welcome to Rico Bronya. Oh my God. There, there are games in which you have a lot of anxiety, where you have a pit in your stomach, where your stomach is churning, where you want to go to the bathroom 15 times. This finale against the Philadelphia Phillies fit all of that. This went from a, an accepted loss when the debuting Jose Budo gives up four runs in the first inning. It goes from accepted loss to, all right, go make things interesting, to another accepted loss, to great comeback, to, all right, I guess we're going to lose, to rain delay, to, I think we're going to lose, to, holy crap, this is the win of the year, to, God damn it, this is when Edwin Diaz is going to implode into, yes! I don't know if I captured every piece of emotion from the finale of this four-game series between the Mets and the Phillies with that rain delay mixed in. I may have got the timing of the rain delay a little bit off, but that was an excruciating, incredible, horrible, amazing... I can't deal with this in October feeling of a baseball game as the Mets win three out of four against Philadelphia. And as I'm watching the bottom of the ninth inning, of course, this on the heels of Mark Canna being Superman, hitting the game-winning or what we thought would be game-winning two-run home run, and Brandon Nimmo putting the cherry on top. As Edwin Diaz is looking very, very human and was very, very lucky, let's be perfectly honest, I was almost rationalizing in my brain acceptance. The acceptance of, look, he was bound to have a bad day. He was bound to have an implosion. I probably would have said at some point on this podcast, hey, Pete, you know what? Let's get this out of the way in August. Let's get the Diaz bad performance out of the way now. And hopefully he can bounce back. I was accepting that, especially after he almost gave up a three-run home run to Bryson Stott and then almost gave up a home run to Nick Maton. I'm not sure which moment I was convinced the Mets were going to lose, but watching that entire ninth inning, I was not exactly brimming with confidence, and then somehow he freezes Derek Hall, strikes him out. I let out this grunt, very loud grunt, an excited grunt, and I quickly grabbed my phone, and what did I text you, Pete? Clean it up, because it was a very dirty text. Remember what I texted you right as uh, Derek Hall struck out looking? Uh, you said, I'm trying to go back. Oh, oh yeah. F yeah. Yeah. I said F yeah. Because I was damn pumped up. I wasn't confident in that ninth inning. You weren't confident in that ninth inning either. Who are you kidding? I mean, I, I felt that that was, um, because like Edwin Diaz was due. And I was, <laughs> I was, I was nervous. That, that Nimmo home run was never more timely. I know. I know. It's weird. There's never going to be a good time to implode. There's never a good time to blow a save. This one was definitely not a good time. It felt like another one of those swing games in terms of the standings with Atlanta actually losing. The fact that they could win this series against the Phillies. The fact that if they lose this game, it's back-to-back losses to Philadelphia. But I'm sure I can find any game until the Mets clinch the division, assuming they ever do that, where I could rationalize where it's a bad time to blow a game. But, yeah, I think we're all sitting back waiting for the Diaz implosion. But much like I said, I think it was last week when he survived. I think it was the Philadelphia Phillies last weekend. It's good to see Edwin Diaz being effective. It's good to see him not be incredibly dominant and sharp and find a way. And that's what he was able to do in the finale of this series. He found a way. The Phillies had a game plan of attacking him early. JT Riamuto, first pitch, base hit. Castellanos, first pitch, blue base hit. Wasn't the first pitch by Stott or Maton, but both guys drove the baseball very well. We're off the bat, you're thinking, game-winning three-run home run. And even after losing Gene Segura, fell behind, got it to 3-2, and he walks him. And now the Mets are a base hit away from losing. Edwin Diaz is able to find a way. So credit to him. 
Now, he was just the exclamation point in this game. The finale of this series, the real swing of this series, because a split would have been acceptable. I said that going in, especially with the pitching situation. But a split after you win the first two games doesn't feel as good as maybe some other splits, like the split against the Dodgers a couple of months ago. But this was a typical 2022 they won't die, relentless, you can push me over, I'll get right back up kind of victory by this team. And I don't know if this tops the Philly game from a few months ago. I'm not sure if this tops the Cardinals game from April. Uh, There is a long list of great Mets victories. A lot of them. I don't know if this is number one, but this was as sweet and as good as it gets. Because like I said at the top, When you look at the pitching matchup going into the finale of this series, not that Kyle Gibson is Steve Carlton, he's not. And the Mets have done a great job against Kyle Gibson. But when you've got Jose Budo on the mound making his major league debut, and you basically have a bullpen and Buck managed this way, that he didn't want to touch. They called up Nate Fisher. He was going to come into the game. Outside of that, yeah, you were going to get your inning out of Trevor May. Edwin Diaz was probably going to get into this game, but you didn't have much else. Seth Lugo was probably not available. Adabon Avino was probably not available. Joely Rodriguez was not available. So I wouldn't call this a punt game. That's a phrase I've heard a lot from Yankee fans over the last couple of years. This is a punt lineup. This is a punt handling of the bullpen. It's not that you're punting. It's that you don't have a lot available based on the way the last few days have gone, based on the fact that you had a doubleheader, based on the fact that Carlos Carrasco got hurt and Taiwan Walker got hurt. You were in this situation, and Buck Showalter had that attitude in that first inning of, I got to find a way for Budo to get through it. And I'm not going to wax poetic about what Budo did. He gave up seven runs in four innings. But thank God he was at least able to pitch a scoreless second, a scoreless third, and even though he gave up another three-run home run to Alec Bohm in the fourth inning, He gave them four innings. Not that it was good. He gave up seven runs. That sucks. But the Mets needed innings from somewhere. The real hero was this Nate Fisher. Nate Fisher comes into this game right out of the gate. Bryson Stott's giving him like a 10-pitch at-bat. And here's Nate Fisher working through trouble. Here's Nate Fisher working through a rain delay. He gets bailed out by some great defense. Mark Cano with that diving play in left. Jeff McNeil, who's played some great defense all year long, but specifically over the last couple of days. And then he picks off Bryson Stott. Nate Fisher, who may never pitch for the New York Mets again. Let's be perfectly honest. He comes up, he pitches three innings. He's probably gone. But Nate Fisher, if the Mets win a World Series, you definitely deserve your ring. A lot of guys do. Isn't that kind of the story of the Mets? They've had a lot of guys come through and at least contribute on some level. I know they mentioned it a lot during the broadcast the last few days, but Nick Plummer, who got DFA'd recently and is now back in the Met minor league system. Nick Plummer, (laughs) it's a game-tying home run from the ashes of defeat. Now you've got Nate Fisher giving you three innings. And it'll be forgotten about because they didn't come back in the finale of the doubleheader. But how about the performance by even Rob Straczynski giving him an inning and Steven Nagosik giving him eight outs? Again, Mets didn't come back, so you kind of just ignore it. But they were at least able to keep them in the game on a night where David Peterson was knocked out in the fifth inning. So all year long, we've seen this. Guys come out of nowhere and step. Michael Perez! How could I forget him? We were all mocking that trade. Michael Perez in game one of the doubleheader comes through with an out-of-nowhere two-run single. Gary and Ron, even I'm thinking the same thing. Hey, maybe you should pinch hit for Perez. Is it too early to do it in the fifth inning? Meanwhile, he shut us up, two-run single, and then today comes up through with an RBI single as they're trying to come back in this game. They've had a lot of guys do this. A lot of guys just step up. A lot of guys who... You know, you never heard of I mean, Nate Fisher was working in a bank a year ago. That's one of those great stories. Guy's working in a freaking bank. (laughs) And he comes in and gives him three scoreless inning and keeps him in the game. It was one of those games. And game two of the doubleheader was the same way, except it didn't work out. It was one of those games where you were going to need your offense to step up. The last three games the Mets played, not the opener, in which Chris Bassett did a fine job and the Mets 
Really did an excellent job of beating up Aaron Nola, but Chris Bassett gives you the six innings. That's your typical, hey, this is the match sort of at full strength kind of win. But when you look at the doubleheader and you look at this game on Sunday, those are the kinds of games when you're asking Trevor Williams, who's not used to starting, you saw with how quick of a hook Buck had on him, he's not stretched out to throw 95 pitches. When you've got David Peterson, who's been on that train between AAA and the majors, and obviously in the finale, when you've got Jose Budo pitching, the way you're going to win this game is you're going to have to score a lot of runs and guys are going to have to step up. And they were able to do it in the finale of this series. Like I said, this was a game you accepted right from the get-go down 4 nothing. They're going to lose this game. And you can see why. And every excuse is written. You got a kid making his major league debut. He gave up four runs in the first inning. He gave up a three-run home run to the third batter of the game. It's an accepted loss. And they wouldn't give up. And guess who got the last laugh in this series? You know who got the last laugh in this series? Keith effing Hernandez. Because every time the Phillies made a mistake and the Mets didn't, I kept thinking about Keith talking about the fundies. The error by Alec Bohm in the second inning. The error by Bradley Zimmer in the second inning leading to two unearned runs. The great defense by Jeff McNeil. The great defense by Mark Hanna. How about the Mets executing the double steal, which they did effectively in, I think it was game one of the doubleheader, if memory serves correct. I have to look at my scorecard, but you don't care enough. Executing the steal of the double steal and the steal of home, and the Phillies unable to execute it. And the Mets making the play. Every time the Mets made a play, and the Philadelphia Phillies didn't make a play, which was significant throughout this four-game series, I thought of that beautiful mustached man laughing, saying, see, fundies, fundies. Yeah, fundies are terrible. <laughs> Good job, Keith. How about the ass whipping the Mets gave the Phillies throughout this year? 14 out of 19. Now, that doesn't mean crap if they play in the playoffs. I think we all understand that. If the Mets and Phillies see each other again, and that is entirely possible with the way the format is, you could throw it all out the window, but what a job they did all year against Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola. Look at the first two games of this series. The Mets did an outstanding job against supposedly the Phillies' top pitchers. And what they did against Nola and Wheeler, and they did it against Kyle Gibson on Sunday, and they do it to everybody, is they work you to death. It's very Yankees of the late 90s-like in which they may not pound you, they may not score a ton of runs against you, but they're going to make you throw a ton of pitches. And most guys are not throwing 110 pitches. Most teams have a weak bullpen. The Phillies' bullpen became weak as the weekend went on. Sir Anthony Dominguez being hurt, weak in the bullpen. David Robertson being forced to have to get six outs and throw as many pitches as he did. 36 pitches in the second game of this doubleheader, weak in the bullpen. That's why we saw a compromise David Robertson in the finale of this series. But the Mets do such a great job of getting to you of making you throw a million pitches. They didn't do it against Max Fried in that finale against Atlanta, but in this series against the Phillies, they did it to Aaron Nola. He throws 104 pitches in five innings. They also scored five runs against him, but still. Zach Wheeler, 106 pitches in five and a third innings. The guy they couldn't get to, and it just cracks you up, is Bailey Falter. <laughs> that was the one guy they couldn't get to. They couldn't make Bailey Falter throw that many pitches. And, but, and they took him out after like 64, uh, 84 pitches in six innings. He's the one guy they couldn't get to. But they did a great job in this series of hitting Aaron Nola, of hitting Zach Wheeler, and of guys stepping up, which we have seen throughout this season. That's a great series victory. And I have to admit, when the Mets are down early in this game, and I'm behind on DVR, not by a lot, I'll take you through how I watch Saturday's games. It's insane. But for Sunday's games, I got back from North Carolina at about 1.30, unpacked the car, started the game probably about 45 minutes late. So I was able to catch up by the fourth or fifth inning. But as they're down early in this game, I'm very quickly going to my phone to see what's going on with the Braves. Because the Atlanta Braves don't lose. And we are now at a point in this season and at a point in this race, 
in which their outcomes are affecting me almost as much as the Met outcomes. I got to tell you, because let's be honest, if it's all about winning the division, and that's all it is right now, there's no other focus. It's winning the National League East. They're not trying to catch the Dodgers. They're not trying to hold off a team in the National League Central for one of the top two records. It is strictly the Atlanta Braves. That's it. Nothing else matters. No other scoreboard watching matters. It is the Atlanta Braves. And to see the Braves win every single night, and look, credit to the Braves. They took care of the Mets. They won three out of four. Hard-fought series. They won that big swing game in game four. I give them major props. I've given them props all year. I've always said they're not going away. We need to respect the defending world champions. They are for a reason. But every time you look up, they're winning. And you figured this weekend against Houston, maybe the Mets would get some help. Maybe we as fans would get some help. Now, they were a little lucky. They dodged Justin Verlander. They dodged Framber Valdez. It is what it is. It is what it is. It's the way baseball works. The, Yan- the Mets are getting lucky against the Yankees. They're dodging Nestor Cortez. They're dodging Garrett Cole despite his struggles. I mean, I'll take it. Not going to complain. But for the Braves to go out and win Saturday the way they did, I got to admit, I felt very defeated Saturday night. Despite the Mets winning two of the first three games against the Phillies and splitting the doubleheader, something I said to Pete on the recall a few days ago, just get a split against the Phillies, especially with the way the pitching's lined up. I felt beaten because of what Atlanta's doing. So to see the Braves get tripped up on Sunday, out coming out of the Met rain delay, I had an attitude of, all right, you know what? Whew, not going to lose another game in the standings. We'll be at least three games up going into the two games against the Yankees. They're going into a series against Pittsburgh. Okay, not the end of the world. Still like my three-game lead. I still like it. So I'm at a point, and I think this, was, this weekend was the first time I felt this way, where the outcomes of the Brave games are almost on a level now to the outcome of the Met games. And why not? They don't play each other until the first week of October. That final three-game series, the final weekend of the regular season in Atlanta, that's it. So if we all agree, 98 wins, 102 wins, 105 wins, doesn't matter as long as they're better than the Atlanta Braves. That's all that matters. They win 102 games. If they don't win the NL East, we're all going to be disappointed. Doesn't mean we blame the Mets. Just means we're going to be disappointed. That's why these Brave games matter. You can mock me in April, May, and June for scoreboard watching. Now the scoreboard watching matters. So to see Atlanta lose the finale of this series to Houston, there was, and I can't be alone in this, there was a sense of, okay, all right, three games up, probably going to lose this game, we move on. Obviously, Mark kind of had other ideas. But let's get to the rest of this series and everything we saw this weekend. We'll look ahead to the Subway Series, which is, I got to tell you, I, I know I said this last month, Mets-Yankees, it's irrelevant. It's the Mets trying to hold off Atlanta and the Yankees trying to figure out their own issues. That's it. Like this Met-Yankee rivalry, there is no rivalry to me. I and mean, we're going to yell at each other at Yankee Stadium, but it's literally about the Mets and their situation, and it's about the Yankees and their situation. The first game of this series was pivotal, though. And we said this last time on the Rico. Coming off that loss to Atlanta, the one game in which you had a starting pitcher that you could somewhat trust in Chris Bassett because the rest of the series was going to be a big wild card with Williams, Peterson, and we didn't know Buda was going to make the start, but you had a pretty good idea it wasn't going to be Taiwan Walker. And it shouldn't have been Taiwan Walker. Chris Bassett did an outstanding job of fighting through trouble. That's what Bassett's done all year. It's what he was able to do in this game. He's able to fight and claw and give you six innings. We saw the Mets take advantage of working up that pitch count of Aaron Nola. A lot of great at-bats. Obviously, Pete Alonzo, which that two-run home run. Jeff McNeil had that great at-bat in the third inning, a nine-pitch at-bat before he ripped an RBI single. That was actually the game where they successfully executed the double steal with Lindor stealing second, Marte stealing home, and really the Phillies, who lack in fundies, just as Keith Hernandez, couldn't take advantage of it. You got Brett Beatty coming through with a big two-run single. It was really the only good thing he did this weekend against Philadelphia. It was not a great series for the young one. Okay, it's not a big deal. Mets won anyway. He should still play third base every single day, and he will. But that was about 
clutch hitting early, Alonzo hitting the two-run home run, and fighting the Philadelphia Phillies off. And even when the Phillies make it a little bit closer and make it a 5-2 game when they finally get to Chris Bassett and Kyle Schwarber comes through with that two-run single in the fifth inning, the Mets are at least able to respond with the huge hit from Beatty that broke open the game. Very, very important to take the opener of this series and behind Chris Bassett fighting through six innings, they were able to do it. And credit to Joely Rodriguez. I got to give him some love because every once in a while, that broken clock is right. And he had a very dominant one, two, three inning when every inning and every out's important because you know pitching, you're going to be limited. The doubleheader. Now, I watched this doubleheader in a very unique way. On Saturday morning is when me and the family packed up from our little beach trip in North Carolina, but we were smart. We were not going to drive all the way from North Carolina to home because that's like an 11-hour trip. So we stopped uh, a little bit south of Washington, D.C., a suburb outside of D.C., got there at about 4.30. I did tweet out, hey, do you think I can convince my family to go to Philly? That was never going to happen. I mean, I, I broached it real quick. I said, hey, what do you, you guys think of Philly? And my wife looked at me and said, no, that's not going to happen. But I appreciate those that invited me to their uh, tailgates at Citizens Bank Park. Thank you very much. So I got to Virginia, Northern Virginia at about 4.30, I think, 4.30, 5 o'clock. We went out for a great Mexican dinner outdoors, and it was approved by my in-laws who are Mexican. They said, this Mexican food's pretty damn good. So it wasn't me as the non-Mexican saying, oh, yeah, the Mexican food in uh, wherever Virginia I was. Leesburg, Virginia is great. They gave it a thumbs up. So I eat the Mexican food. I go to the bathroom. You know how that goes, Pete. I was in there for a few hours. And I got out. And this is so weird. I'm starting game one at 8 o'clock at night. My son is sitting next to me, my oldest son. My youngest son has passed out in his own drool. My oldest son's sitting next to me, and he's watching his new favorite baseball movie. Now, Hoff, you've got a few kids, one of which is older than my oldest, Jed, who is five. If I asked you to guess his new favorite baseball movie at five years old, what would your guess I think it has to be The Sandlot, no? It's a good guess. He loves The Sandlot. That was his old favorite baseball movie. Oh, so then I got I have one, more, one more guess. Rookie of the Year. Boy, you're good, man. You're freaking good. Yep. You nailed it. Rookie of the Year. What he couldn't get over, though, Jed, he kept saying to me, Dad, is that guy on the Mets? Is that guy really on the Mets? What's his <laughs> name? What's his OPS? <laughs> oh, he went to the OPS right away? Oh, no. Yeah, <laughs> that's not my fault because OPS is on the screen all the time. It's not like I'm putting it into his brain OPS. You're brainwashing him. <laughs> Maybe I am. So he's watching Rookie of the Year. I'm watching Game 1 Mets-Phillies. And even though I'm so used to watching games on DVR, I don't know, knowing there's two games and knowing I'm watching the first game seven hours after it started is a very unique feeling. And I had no idea what happened in this game. I'm sitting down and watching it. I know that Zach Wheeler walked Brandon Nimmo to start the game. I knew that as I was watching. I knew that Trevor Williams was getting himself in and out of trouble, which was great to see. And the Mets were finally able to get to Wheeler. This was, like I mentioned earlier, the typical grind them, grind them, grind them breakthrough. Because before Perez hit that two-run single, they made Zach Wheeler throw 73 pitches in four innings. Meanwhile, they only had one hit against him. One hit. It was an infield hit. So four innings by Zach Wheeler. One hit. No runs. One walk. He threw 73 pitches through four innings. Like Tyler Naquin had an at-bat right before he struck out for like the sixth consecutive time. Tyler Naquin had a nine-pitch at-bat. Stuff like that is underrated. But it matters. And I am convinced that that leads to what happened in the fifth inning. Where he gives up a leadoff hit to McNeil where all of a sudden he's walking Tyler Naquin on four pitches, where Beatty's got that productive out that moves the guys to second and third, and out of nowhere, Michael Perez is coming through with a two-run single. And then the sixth inning, Lindor RBI triple, McNeil RBI single, and before you know it, Zachariah Wheeler's ass is out of this game. And Zach Wheeler, who I have great respect for, who I wish was a New York Met, I really don't have anything bad to say about Zach Wheeler, 
But he did say after the game, he followed the new logic for when, what do you say when the Mets beat you in 2022? You say that they're lucky. And so Zach went to that. He went to the, well, had some lucky hits, <laughs> some, some soft contact hits. And by the way, I'm not saying he's wrong, but it comes back to what we've talked about before when Spencer Strider said it. That's why you grind at-bats. That's why it's good to put the bat on the ball because you will get some luck. No question about it. And you're going to get some luck too when you face fundamentally flawed baseball teams. Now, not everybody's like that. You're playing the LA Dodgers and the NLCS. I'm not expecting them to trip all all over themselves. But contact is better than no contact. And so I'm not going to rip Zach Wheeler. I wish he was on the New York Mets. But it's just another response of, well, they're lucky. Okay. They do get some soft contact hits. No one's denying that. I'd rather be lucky than good. Ev, I I said this a couple, uh, about a week ago, because they were, again, BT's ripping on the soft contact. They go, would you prefer hard contact, soft contact, or no contact? (laughs) And and the no contact, I mean, that's Joey Gallo in a nutshell. So I prefer the soft contact. We're winning games. Of course. Of course, you can't expect that every time you make soft contact, it's going to dump in for a base hit. I get that. And there are going to be times where you're hitting a lot of bad luck. But I think that when you are a grinded out baseball team like the Mets are, you're going to have more good luck than no luck because you're putting yourselves in a position to have the luck. But whatever. I don't want to rip Zach. I like Zach Wheeler. I really do. And I'm just frustrated that Steve Cohen didn't buy the team a year earlier, because if he did, Zach Wheeler would still be a New York Met. But that was a great grind against Zach Wheeler and a great effort by Trevor Williams. I was surprised that Buck pulled him as early as he did, 71 pitches through four innings. But I remind myself, and I'll remind everyone this, because I said this to myself watching it. It's not a video game. Even though Trevor Williams is quote-unquote, a starting pitcher and has been a starting pitcher. Look at how often he's pitched. Look at when he's pitched. Look at how many pitches he's thrown. I don't know if it's realistic after he walks Veerling in the fifth to think, well, he'll be fine. Yeah, don't worry about it. It's only 71 pitches. He hasn't pitched a lot. It's a part of why Trevor's been so impressive, whether it's long relief, whether it's getting a hold like he did a few weeks ago in Miami against the Marlins pitch in the eighth inning, whether it's starting a game, He has done a very good job in every role he's been handed. So, yeah, I mean, as I'm sitting there, am I sort of surprised when Buck went out there to go to Seth Lugo in the fifth inning? A little bit. But when you think about it, I get it. It makes a lot of sense. And great job by Seth Lugo. He comes in there and strikes out the next three guys. He ends up giving up a run. But remember, he gave up a one-out single to Castellanos. And it was really Joely Rodriguez who gave up that double and a sacrifice fly that led to that run. Adam Adovino had a dominant eighth inning, and then the Mets are really able to blow this bad boy open in the ninth inning, which was great to see and fun to see. And they win a game that, at least in my mind, before knowing what the Braves did, because at this point I'm watching this game 8 o'clock at night. I haven't checked in on the Braves. I think they were playing at that exact same time. I'm just great. We got the first two games. At minimum, it's a split. At minimum, it's five and six in this 11-game stretch against Atlanta and Philadelphia, which is fine. But once you win the first two, I'm a fat kid who wants more damn cake, especially when you've got David Peterson against Bailey Falter. Like in the first two games, you looked at the pitching matchups and said, ah, Aaron Nola, Zach Wheeler, you could argue the Phillies have the edge. Maybe not with Nola Bassett, but it's close. But certainly with Trevor Williams against Zach Wheeler. Now you're facing Bailey Falter, who has like a five ERA in the 40 innings he's thrown. You have David Peterson on the mound. You've won the first two games. I'm going for the damn kill. And at this point, that's when I, because now it's like 11 o'clock at night. And my son's done with rookie of the year. He hasn't fallen asleep. And he's like, let's watch Sandlot again. That's why Hoff is so right on about the baseball movies. He knows what the kids like. (laughs) Rookie of the year and Sandlot. I think also Rookie of the Year, is it on Disney Plus or is it on Netflix? Because I think, Di- yeah, Disney Plus. There you Disney go. Plus, yes. 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 So it falls into line, which is why Anthony, my youngest, just fell into Rookie of the Year too and was like, that was like a back-to-back movie. We had to watch that like twice in two days. 
Have you guys seen Little Big League? And do you think if if they haven't, do you think your kids would like Little Big League? I they have not, nor have I. To be fair, really? Yeah, I know that's what, it's an odd one. I don't know why I should have. I've seen Angels on the Outfield a thousand times, but Little Big League is the one movie that I did not see in that era. Um, I'd like to watch it with them. I, again, I don't even know what to expect. I'm not sure if they're going to be as into it, but I, I've heard it's a good movie. Do you know what it's about? Oh, it's a kid owner, right? Kid becomes the manager. The manager of the twins. Yeah, of the twins, yeah. He may be the owner or he may be the son of the owner or the grandson of the owner. I forget how he becomes manager, but essentially the kid becomes the manager of the Minnesota Twins. Yeah. And, and it, But is it on that level? Like, this Sandlot's untouchable. Rookie of the Year's great movie. I think it's 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 up there as well. But would you put Little Big League on there? On that no. level? I mean that that's a, that's a no. tough level no. to hit. I would I okay, so Angels in the Outfield I hated. What? I really I did not like Tony Angels Danza? in the Outfield. Yeah, yeah, Tony Danza. That's right. Also Tony Danza and who's the boss sliding at the home plate. He's out by a mile and a half. But whatever. Dude, what about that? Oh, wait, wait, wait. When they slowed down that moment. In the, in, the, in the end of the movie, and there's no sound. And I'm like, uh, did they miss something? Like, I'm in the movie, they're going like, uh, where's the audio? Where did it all go? It, it, it screwed me up as like a 12-year-old. You know what? I think what bothered me about Angels in the Outfield is how at Shea Stadium, all the Met fans would do the Angel thing for Angel Pagan. And it would just uh, drive me. I don't know why. It would drive me nuts. You were very but, weird. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. Weird things bother me. Little Big League was a good movie. Rookie of the Year, Sandlot, or elite-level kid baseball movie. Yeah. So I'm not saying it's as good. I'm more curious if my kid would like it. But what I thought was funny, real quick, before we get back to the Mets, is right after we watched Sandlot, because we watched these movies a bunch of times. I was with my nephew, so he's with his cousins on our trip. So it was a family trip. So one of the days, it rained a lot. So we were watching a lot of movies. And after Sandlot was over, it pops up, Do You Want to Watch Sandlot 2? which I have never seen. And so the kids are like, yeah, let's watch Sandlot 2. We put Sandlot 2 on. Pete, within nine minutes, the kids are like, this is terrible. Shut it off. Oh, I wish. Somehow my little kid watched the part three as well. Really? And liked yeah, it? I, I don't oh know if he liked God. it. He just likes baseball, so I guess he was into it. I, 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 honestly, Evan, I don't know. I was questioning his, uh, his judgment on life. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. <laughs> Anyhow, back to game three of this series, game two of the doubleheader. So my son is now watching Sandlot for the 15th time, asking me a lot of Babe Ruth questions, which I don't mind answering. I have great respect for Babe Ruth. But little did I know, and little did we know, the Mets lost this game when Nicholas Castellanos robbed Jeff McNeil of the two-run single in the top of the first inning. Because remember, Bailey Falter gets into trouble. He's losing the strike zone. He walks back-to-back guys. He throws a wild pitch that gives the Mets the one nothing lead. Jeff McNeil with second and third two outs. Hits a line drive to right. Castellanos makes a diving play. I didn't think it was going to lose the Mets the game, obviously, at that moment. But this kid, Bailey Falter, to his credit, goes 1-2-3 in the second, 1-2-3 in the third, 1-2-3 in the fourth, Works out of trouble in the fifth. One, two, three in the sixth. He was dominant. Mets couldn't hit him, which was really the story of that game because David Peterson wasn't great by any stretch. Pitched in the fifth inning, gave up three runs. But Steven Nagosik was. And the Mets were so fortunate, Peterson too, to get out of a lot of big jams. Even in the first inning after the Phillies tied the game, strikes out Castellanos in a big spot. Even after Alec Bohm, what a really good series, hits that two-run double, they had a chance for more. Peterson gets out of it. Back a strikeout and a really good play by Lindor. Fourth inning. First two guys get on base. The Phillies are even bunt sacrificing. He gets out of it with some big plays, including Schwarber to fly out. Lead-off double in the fifth inning. Back-to-back big strikeouts against Bohm and Rio Muto. Nagosik comes in, gets a big strikeout of Matt Vierling. At this point in the fifth inning, it's 3-1 Phillies. But the Phillies had 13 at-bats with runners in scoring position. If I'm a Philly fan, I'm losing my mind. I should be up 8-1. to one. So it was one of those games, and I have to admit, watching it, now it's midnight, it's 1 a.m. I'm very far behind, obviously, on DVR. I honestly thought the Mets were going to win this game. Because even though they couldn't hit Falter, 
The Phillies were missing out on so many opportunities. Beatty makes an error, and then Jeff McNeil makes that insane diving catch to end the sixth inning. Sixth inning, 3-1. to one. The Phillies have left 10 guys on base. I'm thinking, Mets are going to come back in this game. They really are. They can't hit Jose Alvarado for whatever reason. They haven't been able to hit him all season long. And then you see Rob Thompson get desperate, which I love. I respect it. It's like when the Mets go to Edwin Diaz for six outs, he goes to David Robertson for six outs because little did we know, certainly the Fox crew had no idea, and I had no idea, and I certainly have an interest in this. He's on my fantasy team. Sir Anthony Dominguez is hurt, and now he's going on the injured list. So Robertson needs to get six outs. Mets can't do anything with him in the eighth inning, and even when they start rallying with two outs in the ninth, and they're now down 4-1 because the Phillies added that insurance run, I still thought they were going to come back. I really did. So anyone who thinks I'm so negative, I'm watching this second game of the doubleheader thinking, right, they're going to come back. They're going to come back. He's walking Mark Canna. Beatty's coming up as the tying run. They're going to come back. They did not come back. Spoiler alert, I was wrong. Kudos to Robertson, though, man. Guy left his arm out on the field. And then for some reason, Rob Thompson uses him in the fourth game of this series, which is when the match rally, as we talked about. Little did we know that the end of that game, game three, doubleheader, would help them win game four because they worked David Robertson so much in that ninth inning despite not rallying. He had nothing left when he gave up the second home run to Mark Hanna, the two-run home run in the ninth inning. So even though I was wrong on Saturday night, I may have been right eventually Sunday afternoon. Great, fun, feisty series by the New York Mets winning three out of four. And when they went into this stretch against Philadelphia and Atlanta, what I said was just play 500 ball. Well, they played 11 games. They went six and five. The problem is the Atlanta Braves went eight and two. So the Mets did lose two and a half games in the standings. Unfortunately, obviously the head to head didn't help when the Mets lost three out of four to Atlanta. But overall, considering Carrasco and Walker get hurt and in those games they've got to go to the bullpen early then you have a game where you've got to start David Peterson a game where you have to start Trevor Williams a game where you've got to call up a kid from the minor leagues making his major league debut and Jose Budo and follow him up with another kid making his major league debut who worked in a bank a year ago in Nate Fisher and somehow somehow in those five games you win two of the five That is surviving. And the Mets survived. And now, because of the off days, because of Taiwan Walker presumably coming back at some point, I have not seen an update as we record this podcast on if Buck Showalter has announced when Ty will make his start, whether it's Tuesday against the Yankees, whether it's Thursday or Friday against Colorado. But presumably, Taiwan Walker is on his way back. And the Mets have multiple off days coming up. Wednesday after the Subway Series, and then Monday after the Rocky Series, where they can kind of reconfigure their rotation, get guys rested, and have themselves ready to go for this final stretch. They have survived. And coming into this weekend against Philadelphia, it was about survival. Two and two would have been acceptable. They won three out of four. And now it's off to what I think is going to be a very interesting series against the New York Yankees. Obviously, I'll spend more time on this back on the fan with Craig Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday at 2 o'clock. But in my opinion, the New York Yankees are obviously going to turn this thing around. They're not this bad. They're not as good as the way they played to start this season off. But they are not a bad baseball team. That's why I got angry with my old friend John Heyman, who decided to go on Twitter and make a very negative comment, a negative comment about the Philadelphia, about the New York Yankees, in which he says, well, the Mets have had a tough stretch. Now it gets easy. They go to the Bronx. Stop it. Your record is what your record is. The New York Yankees have the second best record in the American League. Okay? They do. They are still incredibly likely to win the American League East. They're not this They're 74 and 48. They're 43 and 20 at home. They have the most home victories in Major League Baseball. 
Trust me, going to the Bronx isn't going to be easy. Even with Max Scherzer on the mound, and we'll see what they do with Jacob DeGrom. Um, I'd like him to face the Yankees. I think it'd be fun. But at the end of the day, he is coming off a major injury, or you know, he missed a lot of time. I guess it's not a major injury. God knows what the injuries were. I mean, we know what this recent injury was, but really it's Jacob DeGrom is coming off missing a year of pitching Major League Baseball. I think that's the most accurate way to describe it. So if you want to feed him an extra couple of days, I got no problem with that. I really don't. I don't think that you have to view this schedule and say he needs to face this team or he needs to face that team because the truth is he's going to face the Dodgers either way if you're intrigued by that, if you find that to be important. But whether it's the Yankees or it's Colorado or it's Washington, that really doesn't matter. You're not looking at any more games against Philadelphia. And obviously the Braves series isn't until October. So really, when you look at the rest of this schedule, not all easy, but it will certainly get easier after the Dodgers series. It's not as if you need to figure out, well, I need Jake pitching in this game. You want Jake facing the Braves in October, but you've got a lot of time between then and now. So... I know there's a lot of Met fans who really want Jake to pitch the second game of the Subway Series. Selfishly, sure, I'm going to be there. I'd love to see it. It's quote-unquote fun. It's not that big of a deal if Buck sees this as an opportunity to give him a few extra days of rest. It, it really isn't. If Taiwan Walker's good to go, you throw him out there Wednesday night against the Yankees. But are you with me now that as into every Met game as I am, as we are, These Brave games now are on almost an equal footing. Because, look, this 79-44, and the Mets are on pace to win 103 games. Win total-wise, we're probably going to be really happy with that final number. But as long as it's one more or equal to the number that the Atlanta Braves have, that's all that matters. So... I'm certainly there. Are you there, Hoff, where these Brave games now are on equal footing? Yeah, and I was actually disappointed that the Astros didn't hand, like, you know, just demolish the Braves because so far every team I've seen that, like, has been, like, a top-tier team, the Astros have handled with ease. So the fact that the Braves did so well against them pisses me off. Yeah, no, listen, and because there are a lot of games on this schedule where you look at and say, oh, my God, the Braves are going to win every game. Like, they're about to play three games against the Pittsburgh Pirates. I'm hopeless. I'm thinking, okay, they're going to win all three games. So the Mets better win their two games against the Yankees or they're going to lose ground. Even when they go to St. Louis, though the Cardinals are a competent team, I've got no confidence in that. Then they play the Rockies, the Marlins, the Athletics. It's like, Jesus, man, I don't, I can't rely on all these other crappy teams to beat the Atlanta Braves. And I get it. The Mets lost three out of four to Atlanta. The Mets had a chance to take care of their own business. But in fairness, the Mets have taken care of their own business. They've beaten the Atlanta Braves throughout this season. While they didn't in that four-game series, we got to look at the whole shebang. They won four to five against Atlanta at City Field a week earlier. They won two out of three in Atlanta a month earlier. And how about Buck's comment? Did you see that comment he made about the uh, ice cream machine that the Atlanta Braves got? I did see that, yeah. I love this. I love Buck and his balls. I love this. And Gary Cohn repeated the story on the broadcast, first I saw of it, that Alex Anthopoulos, that absolute fraud, I'll rip him in a second, the general manager, <coughs> excuse me, of the Atlanta Braves, said to Darno, hey, you guys beat the Mets. We'll get you an ice cream machine, a soft serve machine for the locker room. So they tell that story to Buck Showalter, and he said, oh, yeah? What'd they take away from them when we won four out of five at City? <laughs> now, in all seriousness, here's my issue with Alex Anthopoulos. And I think I've been very consistent about this in the past. How do you let that piece of crap, Marcelo Zuna, back into your locker room? How do you let that man back into your lineup? How do you do that? The DUI is one thing, but you let him back before that when he beat the crap out of his girlfriend. And you didn't seem to have that big of an issue with that. He's a disgusting human being. He shouldn't play Major League Baseball. And while baseball already gave him their suspension, you have every right to say, you know what? I'm done with you. A, you're not that good. But really more important than that, you're a scumbag. 
So, listen, when I saw that report, I figured, well, this is easy. They're just going to release him. They're going to get rid of him. Why have him around? And he's in the starting lineup. I think it's disgusting. But, okay, that's what they want to do. They can do what they want to do. That's fine. I was surprised to see him back, to be honest with you. And it's confusing to me because you see, like, and I'm not trying to compare the two between Trevor Bauer and Marcelo Zuna. They're all, they're, they're all different circumstances. But they basically, MLB went out of their way to make sure that Trevor Bauer would never play another day in Major League Baseball. And Marcelo Zuna, they let him right back in. Well, they, they suspended him, right? So they suspended Marcelo Zuna. He served it. The Braves brought him back. Not really a decision that I think most Brave fans would even agree with. Now, he gets this DUI, which is bad and dangerous. Obviously, could kill somebody. And I'm just surprised they brought him back. Now, I want to give credit to the Brave fans. Because I got a call like I see it. Well, I think Alex Anthopoulos made a huge mistake in letting him back. The Brave fans showed a lot of class. Because you know what they did? They booed the crap out of him. So obviously, the Brave fans, they know what's up. And they don't want this guy on their roster. So kudos to the Brave fans. I mean, I hope we would do the same. That we would be you know, pissed off at this guy getting yet another opportunity. But uh, credit to the Brave fans down there. Because I saw that. And I wanted to point that out. Because I'm not just going to sit here and rip Anthopolis and rip the Braves and just move on. I want to give credit to the Brave fans down there. As much as we may not like them, as much as we may all be rivals, I thought that was freaking awesome. And they didn't just boo him. They booed him loudly. They gave you, they gave you a very clear message that I wish the organization would listen to. And that's DFA, D-U-I. DFA Marcelo Zuna. All right, as far as this series is concerned with the Yankees, uh, <laughs> this should be fun. I got to tell you, Hoff, tell me if you agree with me on this, okay? Because Hoff is the the Yankee hater, okay? Yes, yes. I'm happy the Yankees won the finale of this series against Toronto. I did not want them coming into this two-game series off a four-game sweep at the hands of the Blue Jays. It's Beningo logic. Joe has had this logic before a lot in the NFL where you don't want a good team coming off a loss. I didn't want the Yankees coming off another bad loss. Your thoughts? I, I agree. Um, and the way that we've seen this team recently play the New York Yankees, even when they do have a win that's like a big win, it means nothing because the next day they come out flat. So it's it's good. I, I, that's great. Congratulations. You 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 were able to take one game in the series versus Toronto, and now you're going to have a difficult time with the Mets. I, I feel very confident with the series. I feel like I'd prefer to see DeGrom out there, personally speaking. I know they're talking about Taiwan coming back, but I'd like to, I would like to just end this two-game sweep in Yankee Stadium, call it a day. And, and by the way, you touched on the whole momentum thing, how they're not able to build off of big victories. Like that win they had last week, on the game-winning grand slam by Josh Donaldson, felt like a, oh my God, they're going to build off of that. Well, in fairness to them, they're starter the next day, and it's always a cliche thrown around, your momentum is as good as your next day starter. Well, their starter, Frankie Montas, gave up five runs in the second inning. I mean, it's tough to build momentum. Now, they didn't hit. I acknowledge that. And when you're not hitting, it looks like you're lifeless and you don't care. But I think the Yankees have been an example at times this season, and certainly... Wednesday into Thursday was a great example of it, that it's not as easy as one big hit breaks you out of it. Now, the Yankees will have that opportunity again because their win on Sunday against Toronto sort of featured that one big hit, the home run by Benintendi in the seventh inning after they blew the lead. But it's not as simple as that. On Monday night, Max Scherzer faces Domingo Herman. If the Met offense is relentless against Herman. Ben Intendi hitting a home run in the seventh inning of Sunday don't mean anything. And if Max Scherzer is Max Scherzer and can again be Aaron Judge's daddy, then Andrew Ben Intendi hitting a two-run home run in the seventh inning doesn't mean anything. So I could also use that point to argue against myself, saying, hey, even if the Yankees lost and they're coming off a sweep at the hands of the Blue Jays, if those things I just said continue to happen, that wouldn't matter either. I'm just telling you, as I was watching that game, there was a part of me saying, you know what? I wouldn't mind if the Yankees find a way to win. But it should be an interesting couple of days with Scherzer definitely against Domingo Herman, Frankie Montas, who's really struggled so far as a Yankee, against either Jacob DeGrom 
or Taiwan Walker in the finale of that two-game series. And then we can put the Subway Series to rest. I do think this Subway Series comes in with a very different kind of hype. I think the last time they played, a lot of it was Mets versus Yankee comparisons. The Mets season versus the Yankee season. Uh, let's compare the positions of each Met player to each Yankee player. I don't think we have that at all coming into this series. I think it's about the two separate issues facing each team. In the Yankees' case, their struggles that have lasted a while, depending on when you want to start the calendar on their struggles. But no doubt, a team that has not played good baseball for a while and have at least made the American League East a tad closer. A seven-game loss column difference between them in Tampa and them in Toronto. They still have a comfortable lead. But obviously, things are closer today than they were when the Yankees and Mets played each other a month ago. So I think the Yankee story is unique to itself, and the Mets story is what is turning out to be an epic race between them and Atlanta. This is a great pennant race. In 2006, there was no competition for the National League East. In 2015, once the Mets got hot, there was no competition for the National League East. This is a race. And you do have the security blanket of a wild card spot. But that wild card spot is, it's, it's, it's not something you feel comfortable with. It's a best of three series. And as great as Scherzer and DeGrom are, and as much as you love having those games in your building, which you could be pretty assured the Mets would have if they lost this division just based on the way the standings are set up right now, that wouldn't make me feel good. i tell you right now, I wouldn't feel all warm and fuzzy about that. And just for the record, their lead over at least the top wild card spot, which means if the Braves caught them and the Mets finished behind Atlanta, the top wild card spot assures that you have all three games in your own building in that wild card series. Their lead in the loss column is pretty damn big. It's actually 12 games over the San Diego Padres. Actually, the Phillies are ahead of them. No, the Padres are ahead of them because San Diego is 68 and 56 and Philadelphia is 66 and 55. So they're a half game behind San Diego. So it's a significant lead over at least the top wild card spot. But who wants to deal with that? (laughs) Who the hell wants to deal with a wild card series? I sure as hell don't. None of us do. (laughs) So hold them off. But right now... The Mets are on pace to win 103 baseball games, which is the biggest number of our lifetime. We have never seen a team, you know, because I'm too young for 88 when they won 100. I've never seen a team win that many games. I haven't said, or the Mets win that many games. And here's what's crazy. The Atlanta Braves are on pace to win 99 games. So the Braves are on pace, a shade under 100 wins and not win the National League East. So this is a great race. But it's going to be stressful. My stomach was churning for the finale of this series. Expect a lot of stomach churnings coming up over the next couple of weeks as we embark in an old-fashioned pennant race. Don't go. Don't don't leave just yet. I know you want to hang up, but I got to stop you right there because there's one thing you haven't touched this whole podcast. You've kind of like pushed over. You have to talk about the one concern about Brett Beatty's game, which is his defense. Yeah. So when we did the Rico after the Atlanta series, I think the comment I made to you about his defense is, eh, it wasn't that bad. Wasn't that bad was the comment. Eh, not that bad. But it was also only two games. <laughs> now we've gotten to watch him for four games. He's going to have to hit to remain in this lineup. And obviously for now, he's going to be in this lineup just because he's the best option that they have. You know, Yelmer Sanchez, who they picked up for depth, is not all of a sudden going to become your everyday third baseman. It's not going to happen. So Brett Beatty is your guy for the foreseeable future. And I think right now, Yelmer comes in late for defense because Beatty's defense is very, very shaky. But he's so the best option at third base that right now it's just easy. He's out there. He's a starting third baseman. If you have a lead late, Yelmer Sanchez comes in to play third. Once... Escobar and Guillerme are healthy. I think this discussion becomes very interesting. And it's too early to really tell you where I'd go because the guy's only played six games as a Met. If he's hitting enough 
I think he's your starting third baseman, and Guillerme comes into games very quickly. That's probably what you're looking at if he hits enough. The question is, can he hit enough? Uh, the scouting report on his defense, I think I said this to you last week, was shaky. And he wasn't great defensively. <coughs> We've seen it. He isn't great. He's not. Jeff McNeil has been awesome at second base. Lindor has been really good at shortstop. Alonzo continues to get better at first base. I think it's just one of those cases right now where you run him out every day, you replace him late with a lead, and then let's reevaluate when this team gets healthier. I think that the best case for Beatty is that he hits enough, he plays, and he still comes out late for defense when Luis Guillerme comes back because Guillerme is an upgrade over everybody. So it's no knock that he would have to come out late for defense. But I think for now, especially when you look at this schedule and it softens up in September, he's going to get a chance to play every single day. And hopefully he gets better defensively. But yeah, you are right, Pete. He's a little shaky. Yeah, and I'm not, try- I'm not trying to be cruel or whatever, but a lot of people were, like, I made one comment, a lot of people came came at me on Twitter, and I said this, I was like, just to be fair, you guys rightfully dogged Eduardo Escobar for a lot of shaky plays at defense at their base. You shouldn't just go and, you know, chalk it up as, oh, it was a tough play to make for Brett Beatty at their base because you like Brett Beatty. That's that's all I'm going to say, because that's the same thing with Ike Davis and uh, and uh, Lucas Duda when they came up. Ike Davis, you know, I know it's a different comp because, you know, Duda was a better hitter. Davis was a better fielder. But everyone gave Davis a little bit more wiggle room because they liked him. Well, but, but he's going to get wiggle room only because he's the best option to play right oh, now. Oh, of course, and I'm fine with that. But I don't want there to be like, oh, well, you know, it was a tough play. Everything, not everything is a tough play. Let me just no, put no. it that way. He's been shaky defensively. I don't think there's any doubt. I mean, watching him for the six games we've watched him, every ball to third base is an adventure. And you can tell Gary Cohn feels that way because there was a play... I'm trying to remember when it was. Keith Hernandez made a point of it in the like one of the first or two first two games he played. A ball he he <laughs> he kind of almost lifted his glove up a bit too early. Keith's like, eh, look at that glove. It's come up a bit early. That almost that almost stuck through. Like they're on point. They're on top of oh, it. Oh no doubt. There was an inflection in Gary's voice when there was a runner on second in the third inning, and the final out was a ground out to third base, and you could hear Gary say, "Ground ball to third," and the like he just. I can't even describe it other than you could tell Gary was worried, just like I'm worried, just like you're worried. But I think right now it's there's no debate on what to do. You play him. He he gets the next few weeks to play. I know you got Mark Vientos in AAA as well. I'm trying to remember what I've read about Vientos' defense. I don't think he's great defensively either. But I think right now it's Beatty's time. It's an opportunity for him. If he hits enough, they'll find a way to get his bat in the lineup. But just being out there is good experience. So, yeah, he's not great defensively, but there's no end game to this other than let him play every day. And once Escobar and Guillerme are healthy, specifically Guillerme, because he had become the everyday third baseman, then we evaluate. Look, he also had a really tough series overall against Philadelphia. I mean, he did not have a lot of great at-bats. He struck out three times in the finale of this series uh, after hitting that uh, home run in his first at-bat and then the two-run single, I forget when, I think it was the first game of this series, the Aaron Nola game, he hadn't hit a lot. So, look, he, he had a tough series. But you run him out there every day. And you let him play, and you hope he gets better. Anything else? That's about it. All right, good. That was Subway. my one frustration. That was my one frustration that I think I got, I got killed on for whatever reason. I don't know why. Well, I mean, because people are probably implying that you want to bench him or something. No, I don't want to. No, 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 no. But I, but I just made a made an observation, and that's okay. We have yeah. observations. That's all we do. We're, we're we the- all agree with that observation. I mean, I can't imagine anyone's watched these six games and say, "Yeah, Brett Beatty's uh, Brooks Robinson at third base." He's not. Definitely no David Wright. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> no, he's not. And did you? By the way, did you did you harp on Mark Canna a little bit because that that dude deserves a little love? Yeah, Mark Canna, man, that was freaking awesome. And I got to give Jed all the credit in the world because a few weeks ago. Uh, as a season ticket holder, I had the opportunity to have my kid run on the field with a Met, and Jet's player was Marcana. And apparently, Jet told Marcana, I love your at bats and the way you battle. And <laughs> that's, that's amazing. That's, that's, that's amazing. what he told him. And Canna said, Thank you. Just enjoy playing baseball. It's all about having fun. Well, Mark, we're having fun watching you with those two huge home runs against the Philadelphia Phillies. So thank you, Mark Hanna, and thank you, Jet, for inspiring him because now all of a sudden he's a slugger since they had their conversation a couple of weeks ago. 
We'll be on after the Subway Series at some point. We guarantee it'll be in your inbox wherever you download your podcast by Wednesday morning with another edition of Rico Bronia. I'm back with Craig all this week, 2 o'clock on WFAN. We'll be at and around Yankee Stadium on Monday. We'll get you set and react to the Subway Series. A lot of baseball coming up, including a special show from Jet Camp coming up later in the week. Thank you for listening to Rico Bronia. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronia podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times.